0: 日本史
1: All right, we're back to the Samurai Archives podcast for episode two, which is part two of our Nagashino coverage, and uh, I'm Chris, and we've got Nate. Hi, how you doing? Travis. Hello. And uh, I guess since we've covered the history, then the official story, and then the uh, Western historians' take on everything, why did you decide to do this?
0: That is a very interesting question. Isn't it though? I, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think a lot of our listeners and people on the board know I'm a uh, I'm a military officer by profession, and also know that I you know I, I did uh, study Japanese history on the amateur level for quite a long time. When I was in one of my military courses, it's actually the course, the training that you take when you become a captain to learn how to do different staff jobs. One of our assignments in, in class was to do a battle analysis and they have a wonderful battle analysis format uh, that has been put out by uh, the uh, the schoolhouse at uh, Fort Leavenworth uh, that I saw this and I was like wow this is this is awesome. It, 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 it's a, a fantastic format for looking at every aspect of, of a battle and determining, you know, this side did this th- these things and this side did, did these things and that's why side A beat side B or, or whatever. And we were told, okay, do a five-page paper uh, to uh, analyze a battle. You can pick any battle you want. And, of course, me being the big history uh, Japanese history otaku that I am, uh, I chose Nagashino because nobody else had ever heard of it, and I've always liked Oda Nobunaga. and And my understanding of the battle at the time was, oh, this is you know the coolest battle ever because they had guns and did all these wonderful things.
1: And it's pretty contained. It's not a, a, a wide, uh, far-reaching battle. It's a
0: right. It's a you know occurred on one day. The actual battle itself occurred on one day. It's, it's a very manageable battle to it to look at, and it has a lot of discussion in the Western military history discourse, uh, and there's pretty easily available sources about it in, in English. Uh, so all of that was, was attractive to me. And as I got into to reading it uh, and studying about it, I, I realized that for me to really do some proper justice with this fo- wonderful format that was given to us uh, by the army, my paper would have to go from five pages to about 50 pages. Um, so I, I went and I asked my instructor, the, uh, <clears throat> the senior captain who was instructing my course, you know, can I do um, a longer paper? And he said, no, absolutely not. Don't make it a sentence over five pages. <laughs> and I said, well, crap. Well, I wish um, I had
1: professors like that in college.
0: Yeah, the, <laughs> wow. well, this is the difference between the Army and college. <laughs> so long story slightly shorter. Uh, I wasn't able to do that with Nagashino. Uh, what you know to the extent that I wanted to. I had to pretty much put one line sentence for everything I was supposed to address and So you've been carrying a chip on your shoulder for the past five yes, years. Yes, unfortunately that paper is now enshrined on your website. Oh, that's
1: right. Talking about how uh, Shingen was shot by a sniper.
0: As motivation for me to, <laughs> to 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 do this uh, project, uh, to get that thing taken down. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I looked at it and I thought, well, if I ever had the opportunity, I'd want to do this. I want to go through the military decision-making <clears throat> process and use these m- modern military analytical tools applied to, uh, Nagashino and come up with my own take, and, and really for my own interest, um, as much as anything else. So when I got here to UH I said okay well this is what I'm going to do Uh, and I have conveniently a research uh, seminar where I can choose whatever topic I want to write about so boom I finally get to do it and as I got into looking at it uh, the more and more it became an issue of sources you realize that a lot of the sources that are out there uh, the English language and even some of the later Japanese you know more recent Japanese sources are based not on actual research done by the authors but they're copying or incorporating what the last guy did. And so I started following the trail back, you you know taking <clears throat> books and going, "Okay, who does he cite?" going and finding that work, finding out who that person cited, comparing texts side by side. So where did the trail lead? The trail eventually led to 3 primary sources, Uh, and and each of these are pretty much responsible for the image that that we have today in some form or fashion.
1: Well, before you get to the primary sources, were there any English sources that end up being the seed of all this, or, like, the first English (laughs) source, or is it just... um, Um, Could have been maybe even Murdoch's History of Japan, or...
0: uh, No, really, um, we're... In English, where it first comes uh, from, is uh, A. L. Sadler, the maker of modern Japan. Uh, his uh, biography of Tokugawa Ieyasu. That. Did that come before *Sense the History of Japan*? It, oh, by a good. It's been several, several
1: decades. Before. I yes. read the book, but it's it's yes. been so long I can remember when it was. Written. Um,
0: the way it, in in English, we'll, we'll cover the English side. The, in English, what we really start with is uh, the depiction of Nagashino in um, A. L. Sadler's *The Maker of Modern Japan* which was uh, written in the 1930s. He draws, Sadler draws from heavily from the analysis done by the Imperial Japanese Army, Lieutenant General uh, Oshigami, uh, who writes the official Jap- Imperial Japanese Army account of the Battle of Nagashino to be used as a example text in their military uh, you know, doctrinal training. Um, Sadler takes this version of events uh, and incorporates it... Um, along with uh, some of his other sources, uh, to to describe the Battle of Nagashino in his biography of Ieyasu, this is essentially later taken by uh, two authors. The first is uh, Delmar Brown uh, in his work, The Impact of Firearms in Japan on Japanese Warfare, fifteen forty three to ninety eight, and incorporated with a couple other sources. But uh, most prominently, I guess I should say, is. How it is adapted by Stephen Turnbull, uh, first in his book uh, *The Samurai: A Military uh, History*, written in the uh, the, the late 1970s, um, and then embellished upon in uh, *Nagashino 1575*, uh, which was uh, published in uh, 2000. So, as I went through it, w- it was it was interesting to see the way that different you know sit, the same bits of information. Flowed from different author to different author, and it's really with uh, S- uh, Sansom, who also draws from uh, the Imperial Japanese uh, Army analysis, uh, and Turnbull that it become comes into the greater Western military history uh, discussion. So these are the that's that's where the version of Nagashino that gets used in the military revolution debate comes from. Mm-hmm. What I found as I delved further and further back, I went, um, you know, from Sadler and and Brown and Sansom and looked to see where they got their uh, information, they primarily come from two sources. One is the the Mikawa-go-fudoki, which is the, um, loosely translated as uh, Record of Events of the Province of Mikawa. It's the official provincial history written by the Tokugawa bakufu in the mid-17th century. So, describes all the events. It's, it's essentially the official life story uh, uh, of the rise of Tokugawa Ieyasu, the founder of the Tokugawa bakufu. So, from, from an early historian's perspective, first coming into, onto the scene like, uh, like Sadler... I can understand why he looks at it as a as a credible source because it's the quote unquote official history. Um, the problem with that is is official histories are written in order to propagate an official story um, and so there's a lot of of that's care of uh, Luke Roberts yes, yes um, very valuable point I learned in his lecture so um, but what we end up having is is a lot of his uh, version of this is based off of that, combined with what he gets out of Oshigami. Well, what, where Oshigami gets all of his information from is the Shinshoki, which is the quote-unquote official biography of Oda Nobunaga uh, that was written by uh, Ose Hoan, also in the mid- uh, six, in, the, in the 1630s, actually. So um, where do you
1: stand on Paul Barley's uh, paper that said that that was basically uh, Edo period uh, not fantasy well, I'll either.
0: get to that, but that's that's
2: that's an, he's in a whole different chain of mm. historical record. But just to clarify, because I was actually curious, and I was thinking about it. So okay. the, the Shinsho Show in Shinshoki Shoki is Nobunaga. That's correct. So that makes a lot more sense as to where the title comes from. That's correct, it, uh, and, and actually, it's interesting
0: following through. If um, like you, it, Brown takes from both Oshigami and from the Shinshoki directly. Uh, but cites it as the Nobunaga key. by, uh, he mm. completely misreads both the kanji the, uh, the for the text, which is understandable because, right. you know, it's about Nobunaga, it's, so why would you not read it as Nobunaga, but it's, sure. it's not read that way. It's like the
2: KKP um, if yeah. you
0: but he also reads it, uh, reads the the author's name completely uh, mistakenly. So as you're looking through the sources, you come across it. You're like, wait, what is it? And it takes a while for you to really think through. Oh no, he's talking about um, the uh, the Shinchoki, but it was it? So anyway, the 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 common idea or or thought of the battle, as I described earlier in the uh, the podcast, essentially comes from. The descriptions in the Shinchōki and Mikawa Gofudoki fuse together. Uh, they form the basis of most of the later fictional ad- adaptations. Uh, the the popular image, if you watch any of the uh, the, the Taiga drama, uh, and their depictions of Nagashino, this is where all this comes from, culminating in Kagemusha, uh, and that uh, that representation of the battle. Unfortunately, even if they acknowledge that these fictional representations are, are bad descriptions of the battle, most of these authors still put forth uh, the ideas that, that, are, that come from these, uh, hinging mostly on the fact that there were 3,000 guns. Uh, that comes straight out of the Shinchoki. Um, the descriptions of uh, leading up to the battle... All have come from uh, the uh, the Mikawa Gofu Loki and then through Sadler is how we hear about uh, the uh, request for help sent, uh, and the uh, the exploits of Tori Sunemon as he as he uh, tries to escape and, and get help. The numbers of the battle: 38,000 troops versus 15,000, uh, and the rotating volley fire, which is really the biggest one, uh, is. Based off of an interpretation of a line in the Shinsho key, so all of that has kind of snowballed into the the common image that has held. Now, starting in probably the mid 1990s, um, by a gentleman named Fujimoto Masayuki, was kind of a counter uh, argument to this popular image. Uh, Fujimoto Masayuki is a uh, historian in Japan who is uh, he, he's, he's not really an academic he's more of a self-taught historian but um, he has kind of a singular devotion to another text which is the Shinchokoki, Kōki uh, written by Oto Gyuichi and his contention um, boils down to the fact that Oto Gyuichi was actually at Nagashino uh, he was actually a retainer of Odo Nobunaga uh, and so as an eyewitness to all these events, not in, in, in Fujimoto uses it not just for Nagashino, but for all of his scholarly work on, uh, on Nobunaga's military uh, exploits, uh, he uses the Shinsho as "This is the, the be-all end-all of everything to do with Nobunaga, um, and is hard fact. So, I understand his argument with respect to comparisons to the Mikawa Gofudoki and the Shinshoki, both of which were written later, both of which were written by people who weren't at Nagashino, and were written with a, a different slant. The problem I see with it is that even though Ota Giyuishi was at the battle and a participant in these events, he also wrote his uh, work several decades after the event, memory fails. You remember certain version of events based on your particular political slash emotional viewpoint. And so, of course, he's going to write things uh, in order to uh, further the positive image of his uh, dead lord, Oda Nobunaga. So you can't escape, in these primary source documents, you can't escape Bias. You can't you cannot get to a hard set of boiled down facts. However, Fujimoto Masayuki thinks that you can by ignoring all the rest and just going with the the Shinsho <laughs> and, and where this they significantly differ is at least in respect to Nagashino is in uh, in numbers. Uh, first of all, the Shinsho says that there were only one thousand. It only mentions one thousand guns, not the three thousand that the other texts suggest. Uh, it does the the wording in it does if you want to interpret it as rotational volley fire you could if you don't want to interpret it that way you, you could not so um, a lot of uh, different uh, historians have looked at it and said well see it's it doesn't say that there was specifically rotational volley fire of three thousand gunners in waves of three like this common image
2: we have. Like most um, primary sources, it's kind of vague. Yes, it's it's interpretable. It's,
0: it says that the gunners took their turn at the you know at, uh, at the firing. Now, you can interpret that a variety of ways. I um, mean, sure. so how I interpret it is is I'm still working on to be honest. So we we see these these fundamental differences in the way that the Shinshokoki describes the battle. And, and hopefully in light of the, the earlier discussion, you can see where I'm going with how, why this is important because it, whether or not there was rotational volley fire and whether or not there were 3,000 guns, those two items specifically affect a lot a lot in how it should be viewed as a example of the military revolution. Um, if, that, if you, believe, if you um, follow the technological determinist argument of Parker. If there, were, if there was no rotational volley fire, and if there were only 1,000 guns and not 3,000, do his conclusions about Nagashino really hold true? Um, I would argue that they don't, but then again, I would argue that they don't otherwise. So, but it, it has significant bearing on, on the understanding of the battle because those are the things that define the image of Nagashino.
2: Hi, my name is Daniel O'Grady and I'm the creator of the Japanese Castle Explorer website. And if you find yourself on the internet with some moments to spare, I recommend you come and have a look. There's information, pictures and maps of over 130 of Japan's castles. To find us, just enter Japanese Castle Explorer into your favourite search engine. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, so come and say hi. See ya!
1: It was the best of times, it was the
0: BEST OF TIMES! Brick McMurley is Maeda Keiji, Sengoku Stud! Coming soon to DVD and Blu-Ray!
1: Hey kids, it's your old pal the Brickster! After you plucked down your lunch money picking up my newest classic, Make sure to check us out at www.breakmcburley.com, and hey, bring
0: your mom while you're at it.
1: Hey everybody, this is Toshiro Mifune, and you're listening to the Samurai Archives Podcast.
2: No, I, I sure. hope we're not weeding you off on a way of different direction than wherever you were thinking of going, but... I had a question that actually kind of fits into that um, in terms of Parker's uh, um, assertion that the introduction of guns has played such an important part. Um, and we all we usually think of we think of archivists as we maybe think of Nagashino. But I'm a little bit, despite having read Delmer Brown's essay, I'm a little bit unclear on what, did guns play a really major part before and after Nagashino or only at Nagashino? Because if they played a major part from 1575 through 1615, then you can say that it was a really big deal but I'm not sure if they did, and I feel like the show did the show ban that. I don't remember hearing about guns within the Edo period. By yeah,
0: we could do we could do a whole other series of podcasts just on the history of guns in well, because, um, yeah, and yeah. and uh, and, 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 huge... and that might be a suggestion for, for the future. But no, quite uh, um, quite basically, that was one of the major arguments that Stephen Murillo makes, and uh, I, I cite him very heavily in my paper because he tears apart Parker's argument um, based on the fact that even though guns were introduced in the 1540s and, you know, whatever the details of that were, fact remains that all of the effects that Parker attributes to the influence of of gunpowder weapons, uh, larger armies, stronger governments, more mobilization, advances in uh, economics and uh, taxation in order to supply and uh, all, all of this, uh, these advanced tactical and strategic uh, encounters, all of that actually occurs prior to 50, the 1540s in Japan. Right. right. So Marillo's argument, which I 100% support, is that gunpowder obviously is not the catalyst for all of this if it already existed prior to that. Right. Um, taking your question specifically, Gunpowder Weapons, the Archibus, um, specifically was used as a weapon of war. I think the f- earliest account that Conlon uh, cites in his work is 1548. Was um, that the, the Murakami? No, that was the uh, Shimazu uh. Um, in uh, in Kyushu. There was one specific incidence of it being used in Kyushu first. Um, and, and Which makes sense, because yeah, where, much look, where the Gunpowder Weapons first came, was Kyushu. Well, yes and no. See, that's another one of the other things that muddles this whole discussion is that the common impression is that you know Portuguese traders brought them in 1542 to Tanagashima. That was the first place that they right. were seen. You have the whole story of the uh, Tanagashima lord's uh, sword maker being forced to sell his daughter to the Portuguese in order to get the. Uh, uh, secret to making the right. barrels and then they start producing weapons and the rest is is uh, right. the stuff of military historical legend. And while that makes for a nice romantic uh, or unromantic story <laughs> as, depending on your, your right. viewpoint, that's really not the case. There are documented instances of gunpowder weapons being used uh, by the Mongols when they came uh, in the uh, Model in the in the late uh, 13th century. Oh, but the, um, the Chinese gunpowder weapons were a totally
2: different creature.
0: They weren't? were in the late 13th century. Mm-hmm. By the 1500s, they weren't that different from from uh, the arquebus that the Portuguese were bringing. Uh, there were some differences, and to be quite honest, the arquebus was a superior weapon to the to the sim- similar weapons used by the Chinese at that time. But they existed. And they were present in Japan. Sure. Um, there's reports, uh, or there's a uh, documentation of the uh, Hojo uh, having a gun. In uh, I believe it's, a, a, and I don't go into this in my paper, so I don't have the dates completely fresh in my head. Yeah, I think there but was it's this. like are the 1510s. Right.
1: Um, the. Do you remember where that came from, but just because I, uh, I It that came somewhere.
0: through. I want to say that it came through uh, the imperial court.
1: Uh, well, I mean, where did from they? From China.
0: What article did that come from? Was it? Uh, oh, it's in Conlon. Conlon talks about it in his book. Uh, I, I know uh, I've And it's, heard I've also book. seen it. I believe it's in uh, Varley's. Actually, I think um, that's that's where I, 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 I believe think. Varley talks about it as well in his article. Well, Odo Novanaga, Guns and Early Modern Warfare in Japan. Um, he states, and, and I quote: uh, "We find that the earliest reasonable, reliable references to guns in Japan came from the late fifteenth century." A Buddhist priest recorded in his diary in 1466, on the eve of the Onian War, that a Ryukyuan official visiting the Ashikaga Shogun in Kyoto fired a teppo, which was the Japanese word for gun at the time, um, in the air, perhaps as a part of a ritual or as an act of celebration that greatly startled the inhabitants of the capital. In 1468, the year after the Onian War began, the Eastern Army in that conflict used a, quote, fire spear uh, that was probably a type of handgun. Skipping a bit further in, in his article, he says, The Chronicle of the Hojo family of the Kanto, the Hojo Godaiki, record of five generations of the Hojo family, tells us that a gun, teppo, from China, was presented to Ujitsuna, f- who was alive 1487 to 1541, the Hojo Danyo, by a monk in 1510. This gun may not, however, have been Chinese, but rather a weapon from Southeast Asia that was originally of Turkish design, but had been modified at least several times. That it was transmitted eastward from Turkey. Mm-hmm. So. There's certainly evidence of guns prior to the 1540s. Marillo, and this was one of the things that I, you know, the little nitpicks that I had with different sources that I, um, that I read in, in the discussion, is outside of the ones who are specifically focused on Japanese history, they know none of this, and they make reference to none of this. They just assume that Europeans brought guns in the 1540s, and boom, they, they proliferated. Where it doesn't undermine their argument is that the 1540s was really when they learned how to make them. It wasn't so much that they brought guns to Tanagashima and, ooh, wow, that's a cool thing, let's use it to go kill each other. It was that somebody, whether you know the Smith story about him selling his, his daughter to, to learn the secret is apocryphal or not, somebody learned how to make them at Tanagashima. In 1542, 1543. Yeah. From then, from there, it spread. And it's one thing when you have a an official bring a gun and display it, or if you have one given as a gift to Hojo Ujitsuna. It's a, quite another thing when you can produce them yourselves, right. because now you can start to use them. Absolutely. Um, so I, it, it's a big argument of factual, you know, of, of what's factually correct. But really, it doesn't really matter in the sense of the discussion where I'm looking at it as far as when were guns introduced. Because what really matters to me is when can guns be used on the battlefield. Um, f- late 1540s, you start having reports of them being used in the battlefield. By the mid-1550s, they're used with complete regularity um, and any ever-increasing numbers. By the 1560s, they're uh, an everyday weapon in in the battlefield.
2: So they are used commonly enough in yes. the 1970s, 80s, 90s that other aspects of this argument being faulty aside, the argument could be made that they, they really did have a significant impact at that time. Oh, They that, certainly had not, a very that's significant that's impact.
0: it's not just yes. what, what, what you could even say, I would be willing to go so far as to say that the argument could be made that their use at Nagashino was of such impact that it influenced the way they were used subsequently. You do see a lot of change in, you know, a, a significant increase in the amount of guns in each army, in the composition of armies, um, and in the, the tactics employed. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, hi- military historians will point to uh, Nagakute, uh, the uh, battle between uh, Tokugawa Ieyasu and Toyotomi Hideyoshi, Uh, shortly after Nobunaga died, where it was essentially a a defensive struggle between the two uh, that ended as a stalemate because there was no concentrated effort to attack. And the reason a lot of people posit as to why that was the case was that they both had been veterans of Nagashino and knew what would happen if they were the one to attack right. um, I, I think that's kind of simplifying things and mm-hmm. making extrapolations that I'm not really comfortable with but the bottom line is warfare uh, evolved and it became a, a, a contest where you know if you had a significant number of guns and the troops to use them then you had um, an advantage over somebody who did not and they did call for different tactics um, to an extent to the point where you see in the, you know, the documents covering the invasions of Korea, you know, generals in Korea writing back to Japan saying, don't even bother sending soldiers with spears. Give them all guns and send them to us. We don't need any spears. Leave the spears at home. You're wasting our time with spears. Mm-hmm. So there, there is definitely a significant change. The problem with the way that Nagashino is worked into this discussion is that people point, oh, see, it was at Nagashino, right there. That's this one point. And that's not the case at all. That's not the
2: case, yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, I I think that's something that it's important to study Nagashino to show that it's... um, And this is the argument I make in my paper, is that rather than as an example of, see, this is where the military revolution... Uh, theory is validated, right. and this is where, you know, we see that guns brought about all these changes and it culminates in Nagashino. No. My argument, based off of what I've seen and, and also off of uh, what, I, what I've read specifically um, Murillo and uh, Peter Lorge's, uh arguments, is that all this stuff existed prior to Nagashino and prior to the introduction of guns. What, really what Nagishino really is a culmination of is all these elements being brought together into a modern military context, for the time, a modern military right. context. Um, so rather than Nagishino being the spark that starts things, it's really the culmination, the, of, the culmination of all these different, uh, different aspects coming together in a spectacular fashion, right. um, the defeat of, of the Takeda. Right.
1: Okay, so that pretty much sums up uh, what you're trying to do, uh, some of what you found, some of the theories that you're, you're looking at or right. against. Uh, right. So any recommendations in uh, English for uh, our listeners for the most useful Nagashino info?
0: Um, well, to get... The the problem is most of the stuff that covers it specifically all comes from one of these faulty primary sources and, you know, through this, this, this chain that I discussed. Um, the best thing that I the, the best article in English that I would suggest is probably Varley's article uh, which said so uh was Nobunaga Guns and Early Modern Warfare in Japan I'll I'll put the link up yeah, on he, the, uh, the blog site he, uh, yeah Varley's article is, is actually uh, really focuses heavily on the discussion of, of Nobunaga in general uh, and Nagashino as one aspect of it his place in the military revolution uh, debate so if Somebody's looking for the the nuts and bolts, the specifics of, you know, what time of day did the actual charge happen and, uh, you know, how many uh, bullets were shot by the the Oda forces at the Takeda. if you find something on that that you can verify is completely correct, I'd be very interested in it uh, as well. Uh, That's what I'm (laughs) trying to eventually get to. I don't think you can do it simply with written sources, though. Uh, So I I, I would suggest start with Varley and then go from there. Um, That's kind of just to, I guess, lead into uh, we'll probably do a podcast on this, you know, four four months from now or so once I've had a chance to to relook it, but what I want to do is come up with some sort of consensus of what the written documents say and use that as a base. And then combined with, I've taken you know multiple trips to Nagashino, so I'm familiar with the, uh, the ground, um, have, have walked around the battlefield a, a few times. Uh, some of the analysis that's been done on archaeological uh, evidence uh, it, which there's not much of because it is a developed area in Japan. The battlefield now is mostly rice paddies, so it's not like you're going to unearth a lot of stuff because it's it's gone. Um, but uh, you know some analysis work on that has been done by Thomas Conlin, uh, and I would like to kind of play with that a little bit. Continue, uh, you know, look at some of the theories that he's got based off of that. But really, eventually, what I want to get to is, is determine this base set of facts, and then. Take my my own military experience uh, in military analysis and kind of throw that on top and see if I can come up with you know use use that as a as a check on some of the facts that we're, we're told. I mean, looking at the terrain, you know, three thousand guys standing in line that takes up a, a good amount of space. This is not some big open field that we're talking about. It is not a flat prairie. It is a along a ridge line. Uh, with a small stream that is now rice paddies separating it from the ridgeline that the Takeda were on, mm-hmm. and it, it's a very com- compact space. You know, Conlon discusses this as, as well, and, and I believe he quotes Oda uh, Tetsuo, uh, one of the uh, more prominent Japanese scholars on on the subject, uh, as saying that a lot of the analysis that's been done on Nagashino has been done by people who have never been to <laughs> Nagashino, uh, which you know, for any military officer, you know that you can't really do a, a good analysis, uh, you know, of, of a battlefield unless you go to it and see what the terrain, the terrain looks like. Because um, terrain determines, you know, it is presented. the start point for, for everything. Um, so, that that's kind of where I want to go with it. Um, what I would like to do eventually, uh, and hopefully I can get to this summer, is set myself up with a baseline of facts, and then Put on the hat of the uh, of let's say a fictional staff uh, for each side. You know, obviously they did not have a military staff like we conceive of, uh, but they had to go through a decision-making process to determine what they were going to do. You know, Oda Nobunaga would have his generals gather for his council, and they would give their suggestions while looking at uh, you know their crudely drawn maps and determine a course of action. Um, I would like to to overlay the current U.S. Army military doctrinal decision-making process over that, um, not because I, I think that that's what they would have followed, but because there's a lot of just common sense to it. And the points where they depart from, where I, as a modern military thinker, would, would go through the decision-making process, can serve as highlight points. Okay why did they do that? If I would do this as a, as a modern military officer, why did they do something that was different? Some of these will be because times were different, mindsets were different, and, and, and so on and so forth. And it will help me understand the way they did things a little bit more. Some of them, like, for instance, why, would, why Katsuyori attacked in the first place, will simply have no logical explanation and so you have to go deeper into it but it'll right. what it'll do is it'll highlight those those deviations and then we can study the deviations as the points where really the battle becomes interesting and if if it's a point where they did this, you know, 400 years ago and I would do the same thing now then well who cares it it's probably common sense and not really mm-hmm. worth studying it's, yeah. it's why did they do things differently that really is going to tell us about What's different from then as opposed to now, so that's kind of where I want to go with it and hopefully I'll, I'll have a product sometime in the fall to uh, to discuss sure. sounds good yeah so I, I guess that uh, pretty much wraps up all uh,
1: well, the part two of our uh, Nagashino coverage for now until uh, until later mm-hmm. and uh, in the meantime you can feel free to send questions uh, or comments along to samuraipodcast at gmail.com or Twitter at Samurai Archives, or of course Facebook, the forum, etc, etc. And I created a list of links of all the pertinent uh, places that you can catch us on the uh, podcast uh, blog, SamuraiArchives.podbean.com You'll see a link that says links to the Empire. That's where you find everything you need.
2: And until next time. Thanks for listening.